The title of the lesson this evening is one that's very appropriate for a world in which we live. We can look around and we can see that we can perceive that many are religious. Many have their ways of working or serving in some form of a supreme or a spiritual being. And yet, it's not always in accordance with the will of God. Years ago, I was able to spend some time working with a Jew who had been converted to Christianity, and we had some interesting discussions as to what he could do with a Jewish background, holidays and so forth, of recognizing those and yet not believe that they were connected with Christianity and the worship of God. Uh, it took, you don't think about it until you work with one where that's their heritage of all the holidays and everything else they can do. Well, what can they do as a Jew and maintain those holidays and not see any connection with Christianity? Uh, we have our holidays. We celebrate the 4th of July. We celebrate, you know, a, a number of different holidays. And we see no connection with that. So can he or could he do likewise? And it was, uh, it made you stop and think and reflect upon what was going on. The book of Acts gives us a rundown of, again, the beginning of Christianity. Uh, the beginning of the gospel being preached in uh, Acts chapter 2 to the Jews who had gathered on the day of Pentecost and what went along with that. Again, the challenge that was there for them to understand why they had gathered and as they were gathered then to begin to hear what we call the gospel being preached for the first time. And trying to put together what they would read in Isaiah, Jeremiah, what they'd read in, in the book of uh, Ezekiel or any other place, the, the Pentateuch and all the promises that were there of a coming of a Messiah. And to understand that that coming of the Messiah also meant an end to their way of life. Peter was, and the rest of the apostles were able to convict those on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 of them, that this Jesus, whom had been prophesied by Isaiah and others, was indeed the Christ, the Son of God. And that salvation was going to be brought through him, and they needed to understand what it was that they needed to do. They were pricked in their heart and asked Peter and the other apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Some to repent and be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. So they were able to do that, and then they had to struggle with that. And the book of Hebrews would go along with that. Of those who had that background, who lived in that society, who were being persecuted, trying to think, well, couldn't they go back and pick up some of those holidays and so forth? And again, the thought, as, Peter, as Paul is going to go in Athens here, men and brethren, I perceive that you are very religious. But there's a need for you to make a change. 
And the Hebrew writer is going to do that as well. Point out everything that you see, everything that you're being drawn back to is just a shadow. And you already have the reality. If you have the reality of the Messiah in actuality, why would you want to go back under the shadow? Well, it's convenient. It's the way I was brought up. It's my background. We hear that a lot of times when you talk to religious neighbors, do you not? I don't believe everything that they teach, but that's just the way I was brought up. And so I really do not want to leave that. For the same reason some of the Jews in the Hebrew letter were doing the same thing. Because they lived in Judea, they lived in Jerusalem. That's where their families were. They left that to obey Christ. They're still with their family who are Jewish. And there's a pressure put on them. Come back. We know what Moses said. We can follow that. We don't know as on the day of Pentecost. We don't know who this Christ is. And why should we follow him? The challenge was there for them to accept that particular gospel. We read a little bit later in Acts, in Acts chapter 8, as Philip goes down, or Philip going down to Samaria and preaching the gospel to them, trying to help them to learn. But again, they were of a Jewish background. The interesting one comes out a little bit later in the book of Acts, of the Ethiopian eunuch who comes up from Ethiopia to, to worship God. Interesting background. How did the knowledge of a Messiah reach Ethiopia? Well, the dispersion of the Jews for one thing. But you see the conviction that he had to be what? He had to be very religious. Uh, going from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God is not a trip that you would just normally take. And it's not like a trip that we would take today. You know, it didn't, it, this wasn't an overnight trip up to Jerusalem to, to worship and then to return home again. It took a journey. It took what? It took a commitment on his part to make that trip. Then as he's going home, what did he have with him? He had a, a scroll of Isaiah. Which means he has some prestige, if you will, because scrolls were not easy to come by and were very expensive to produce. But he had a scroll of Isaiah and was reading it and wanted to know more about it. And of course, Philip fills him in at who Isaiah was talking about. And then as a result of that, he obeys the gospel, and then he goes on his way rejoicing. By the time we get to a little bit later on in Acts, we find Paul beginning to do his preaching in Acts 13. But then he's getting to Athens a little bit later in Acts 17. And as is his custom, as he would go into a city, he would work with, uh, go to the synagogue and talk to them there. Again, they would have a background of an expectation of a Messiah. So he had a foundation by which he could build and to work with. And oftentimes we have that with some of our religious friends. They have a background for the Bible. Many of them do believe it. They're not following it exactly, but they have a background for it. And he gets to Athens and he runs into, again, a little different situation. He's waiting for the, the Jews, and he's talking to some of those. And then as he's waiting in Athens, he looks around, and he sees a number of idols and begins his lesson there about, I perceive you're very religious. I see many idols out here. 
It's been said by historians that it was easier to find a God in Athens than it was a man. Because they had God's galore all over the place. And Paul will make mention that I perceive you are very religious. You have gods all over the place. And they found an altar to the unknown God. That concept of I'm religious and I don't want to exclude anybody. That sounds familiar in some of our people we talk with today. They don't want to exclude anybody. How can you exclude the Jews? How can you exclude those who believe in, in the Koran? How can you exclude some other people? They're very religious. They're very devout. They, they do want to do what's right. And how can you say that they need to make a change? Well, Paul will begin to address that in, in Athens to say that they need to make a change. You're very religious to this unknown God. So there in, in 20, at the end of 23 and into 24. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. The one you worship without knowing. How can you worship one whom you do not know anything about? The concept that there is something greater than us is part of that, yeah. Yes, that is involved in that. There is a supreme being, there is a supreme power. They would acknowledge that, many will acknowledge it today, many will still deny that there's any supreme being above us, that we're it. But they could understand that there was, and they didn't want to exclude who he might be. But they didn't worship him as he would direct. And again, we encounter that in our society. Our society is mentioned at times before. Our society is built from the days that the, they came over to establish the colonies was based on religious freedom. They were being persecuted where they were at. There was a new land that they could go to and escape that persecution. And so many have made that decision to Travel by ship. Now, that was the only way they were going to travel to get to America. It would be by ship. That they would travel to America and that they would be able to establish their colony and that they would be able to worship God as they felt they needed to worship God. And so from the very beginning of our history, that's been our culture. And if you didn't like what they were doing down in, in Plymouth, you could go up to another place. They were doing something else differently up there. If you couldn't find a place, you could make a place so that you had the freedom to worship God as you so desire. Kind of built into our history and our culture, if you will. And again, that's why we find what we find today. Uh, you can find it in Dallas. You can find, well, you can find it anywhere you want to go. Uh, you go down any major street that has a lot of church buildings on it, and you will find all kinds of different names uh, of what they were, who they were established by, and when they were established, and who was the founder of that particular religious body, and on and on it goes. Very religious, but they're worshiping in ignorance, and they needed to learn a little bit more about God. They needed to take the Word of God. We live in a society... And I'm sure a lot of us do. I mean, we've got, I've got books by various individuals where, again, they take a book 
And that's what they use. Maybe a book of the New Testament or some other book written about some, of, some book in the New Testament. And that's what they base their life upon as opposed to taking the book, which is called the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and basing what they do upon that. And they just need to be encouraged or shown, and that's what Paul is going to do. You're already religious, but have you really stopped to think about this one whom you're worshiping? Have you ever looked to see what he has to say? Not listening to what I have to say, not listening to what someone else has to say, but have you listened to what he has to say in his word? They've got books and they've got their very scriptures that they pull out and that's what they use. Here's what you need to do and don't worry about anything else. And I hear so many of them say, all you need is just one verse. And you've heard me say at times, if all you needed out of the Bible was just one verse, guess what? That's what you would have. You would have just one verse. That's all you needed. But that's not all that you need. You need more than just one verse. And so you have to read some more. And you have to realize that, uh, and, and I've talked with them, as you talk with them, trying to share with them that they get very uptight and very defensive when you point out a verse or a section of verses that does not harmonize with what they are believing in practicing. And so they don't want to talk anymore because, you know, well, I'll, this is what it says over here, and that's all I need. I do not need anything else. Well, what do you do with what God has written? And it's not trying to pit one religion against another, and that's what it looks like to some of them, pitting one religion against another. That's not what we're trying to do. I'm simply wanting to do what God wants us to do. And the only way I can know what God wants us to do is to read what God has left me to go by. And I have to believe that God is right. I have to believe that God does not contradict himself. So when you say all you got to do is call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And then then another passage says, call on the name of the Lord and be baptized for the remission of your sins. They do not contradict each other. You have to look at to how do they harmonize one another and how do we explain what is being involved. And it, it's, it's difficult because they've been taught this so much in their life. Talked with individuals who, again, have been thoroughly convinced that what they did in their particular religious body was scriptural baptism. But he had attended the congregation for a number of years And he had heard lesson after lesson after lesson describing the plan of salvation and what God would have you to do. And he was convinced in his mind that, yes, that is what I, that's what the Bible says. And so I know that's what I did when I, when I obeyed what he called the gospel at that particular time. Well, it's hard to dispute that because I wasn't there when when he did whatever it was he did. So I told him, I said, I encourage you to go to the place that baptized you, go to that building, talk to that preacher, and ask him. Well, he did. He went there, and he talked to the individual. That preacher that had done it for him was gone, but the other preacher was there. He explained to that preacher what he had done, that he was baptized for the remission of sins in this building. That preacher looked him straight in the eye and said, if you were baptized in this building, 
you were not baptized for the remission of your sins. So a man comes out and says, let's go. And he was baptized for the remission of his sins. So many people are convinced that because the Bible does say that, that that's what they did. Our sad commentary today is that we have even those in the Lord's church that are changing what they believe one needs to do, and that's another story. Paul is trying to get their attention to what they were doing. He's reading with the uh, Epicureans and the, and the Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans believed in pre- pleasure as the main thing to, to pursue, and the, and the Stoic philosophers believed in endurance was the way you need buffet your body, beat it, bring it in subjection. And this was their ways of life. And has people really changed from those in Athens? What did they do? All they loved to do was sit around and talk and hear something new. Hey, somebody else has come in and they've got something else new. Let's listen to what they have to say. And then sometimes we want to put together a hodgepodge of what we think may be the case. And that's what they were doing, but they needed to hear the gospel. Um, he wanted to talk to them, as he said there at the end of uh, 24. 23, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who what? God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Some of you have traveled abroad, and some of you have seen some of the temples that they built, and the places that they worship, and and think that that's the holy place. Remember several years back, there was a, a minor fire in Paris, with Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, And how long did it take for them to raise some money to replace that? They raised a couple billion dollars to rebuild. They haven't got it rebuilt yet, but I'm just simply saying that was the place of worship. You travel around Europe, particularly in France and other places, but did some in France and in Germany as well. You go through any major town, and I'll say without a doubt, anytime you come into a major town, the most prominent building you will see will be a cathedral. Paul is saying, no, he's not worshipped in, in anything that man has built along the way. That's not what makes it possible. And we, we still do that today, forgetting that it's not the place. It's not the building per se. Uh, we get to deal with that all the time, do we not? Uh, well, you worship in a funeral home. Uh, how can you do that? Well, it's not the place that makes the worship. It's what you do when you come into the place that makes the worship. And ours is to worship God. But he's working with where they're at. He says, you just want to talk about anything new that comes along down the way. But he had made all of life and gives breath to all things. And he is made from one blood, and how many people have disputed that one? Made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Spend some time with that one sometime on your own. Uh, I marvel 
I'm amazed at the foreknowledge of God and the execution of his plan through human history. How he could foreknow and plan man's redemption before the foundation of the world. To have already laid the plan and to have executed the plan that made it possible for Seth to obey the gospel today. Marvelous, fascinating foreknowledge of God and how he executed that down the line. Made of one blood all the nations of the earth. And we fight and dispute over that and forget that we're all human beings made in the image of God. We belong to him. That's not the outward appearance. I'd hate to think that God looked like this. You know, I'm praying that he looks a whole lot better. Uh, I mean, I'm simply saying, do we not understand? They were struggling with it. And we live in a similar society of the mass confusion, the misinformation, and the desire to again want to work and to worship the way that we want to work and to worship. And we have our own sets of rules here and there. And it's no different than what they were doing in Mars Hill. And that's what Paul is addressing along the way. That they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us. I mean, we're going to go searching. Where, where, where might he be hiding? They're groping. God has revealed himself. He has given us his revelation. Want to know about God? Here. Take time to look at it. Take time to read it. Starting again, Genesis 1-1 and read through Revelation 21 and, and see what he has, 22, and see what he has to say. Read what God has to say. Know him. This is where he's being revealed. And as you start and read through, again, read up the creation. Uh, you know, I've always said, uh, as I, I like Genesis 1, 26 and 27, but I've always enjoyed uh, Genesis 2 and verse 7. God forming man out of the dust of the ground. Mark, God shaping man out of the dust of the ground, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Wow. Spoke everything else into existence. Took time to create us. And how do we respond? In one form, shape, or fashion. He's not there. He is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own prophets have said, for we are his offspring. We live in him. We have our being in him. Therefore, since we're the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Wow. And again, you do not see that? Do you not see imagery of how people view God or Christ? The gold and the silver? Have you ever seen anybody walk around town with a old rugged cross 
If they have one, what is it? Gold, silver, <laughs> anything but old wood. Uh, that's rugged and, and ragged. No, uh, it doesn't work that way. It's not of our devising. It's been interesting, again, all the artwork that's been done down through the centuries, all the uh, statues that have been put together and all the artwork that's been painted about how Jesus looked. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that you look at a lot of the artwork on Jesus today, and it's not like it was when I was a kid. It looks totally different. When I was a child, Jesus had long hair. Uh, Nowadays, he's got short hair. Uh, We want to fit it for society. That's not God. That's not how he wants to be viewed. He reigns above the earth and is supreme. So therefore, the times of ignorance God had overlooked, but now commands only some of the men to repent. No. He commands all men everywhere to repent. So who's he talking about? Every human being upon the face of this earth, regardless of where they are, need to obey the gospel. And that comes back to, again, Acts 2.38 and following. It goes back to Matthew 28.18-20 and Mark 16.15-16. and 16. If every creature on the face of this earth, regardless of where they live and where they dwell, need to repent of their sins, then somebody needs to tell them what they need to repent of. And why? And why is it important for them to listen? Because he'll go on to tell you. Because he has an appointment in verse 31, a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by, to all by raising him from the dead. There's a day appointed. What day is it? Only God knows. But it's appointed that we will give an account of ourselves to God. It's a sad commentary. Again, as those in Athens, you find that some of those are going to mock him. When they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some of them mocked, while others said, oh, we're here again another time. Let's postpone it a little bit. But he did find some men in verse 34 who believed and had obeyed. So it has not changed. There are those who are going to hear, and they're going to reject it. There's no way they want to listen to it, and they're going to walk away. There are others who are going to say, I need to think about that a little bit. The only prayer I have is that pray to God that they have the time to think about it, enough to hear it and believe it and obey it. Because that day is appointed. Hebrew 9, 27 said it's appointed that a man wants to, wants to die. And after this, the judgment. The day is appointed. It's not specified as which day it is, but there's a day, there's a death day that we all have. Say the Lord come again. There's a death day. Day that you're going to die. You don't know when it is. Well, I'll do that tomorrow. May not live through the night. So what am I going to do then? When we hear and believe, We need to repent and obey the gospel and do his bidding. 
We need to live for him as we live each day. Paul is reminding us as he talks to them, I want to tell you about the one whom you do not know. And that's the world in which we encounter, even in, in America today. I want to tell you about God whom you really do not know. You need to understand who he is. Um, you're very religious, but you need to go a little bit farther. You need to look a little bit closer. That's our task, uh, to look for those that are religious or perceive that we perceive to be religious, to share with them. But that scatter that seed wherever we go and as we have that opportunity. It's one of the beauties of the seed, of that parable. The sower went forth to scatter the seed. And one thing about seed, it takes time. The other thing about seed, in the most part, as you go about scattering, you never know where that seed goes. Some of you have got uh, different types of plants in your grass, and you wonder where they came from. Well, some little birdie dropped them along the way. You never know where the seed or how it's going to be scattered, and you never know where it's going to germinate. And you never know how it's going to bear fruit. That's God's working. I'll let him do that. Mine is to go and scatter. Mine is to spread the gospel. Mine is to teach and give others that opportunity. That's our job. We can do that. We're not the one to have to bring forth the fruit. We're to water the seed and let God give the increase. One plants another waters, but God gives the increase. The beauty of what we have in serving God. But it's up to us and how we live our lives. As we take time to again look at Paul's lesson to the Athenians, take note of how they are described. See how they parallel to what we have today. Then let's take away what God has and do his bidding. God has blessed us richly. He's blessed us abundantly. Beyond our comprehension or our understanding, thank God for his grace and his mercy. And help us to live for him each day that we live. If our life is not where it needs to be, if we need to make that change, again, if we could assist you, if we could help you, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.